88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 88% on Metacritic. Directed by Sarah Dosa, distributed by Neon and National Geographic. This is the film we're talking about today. The greatest Lava Field love story ever told. That's Rolling Stone. Say that slower. The greatest Lava Field love story ever told. Lava Field love story. I would have to agree. <laughs> our our uh, sample size is small for volcanic couples. That's that's uh, that's the joke, I think, right? Yep. Maurice said in one part that there were only like 350 volcanologists. Volcanologists. In the world at that time, and that was like in the 70s, 80s. Yep. And so, yeah, they're probably the only married couple? I don't know. Maybe not. Maurice said they're the only ones that they know of in the community. Because the community is, I think, pretty tight. At least at the time. It was 20 years ago. Or 40 years ago. Yeah. 40 years ago. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about, well, you already introed it. Uh, I didn't say it. Fire of Love. There we go. It's the newest, hottest documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Hitting theaters. I think it just released around us today right uh last week last week yeah finally i've been waiting for this movie because i it looked so good normally we're not doc people we we do we do like good docs i think but i would watch more if i could but mm -hmm. i don't have like access well well, there there's actually a lot of good docs on streaming sites right now but it's just there's so much dramatic fiction that i'd like to consume first that i just don't yeah yeah, I, I think documentaries, for me to be interested in them, have to be pretty specific. I really like documentaries like this, where there's like basically a narrative created out of kind of like found historical footage. Yeah. The last one I really liked was that Apollo 11 IMAX documentary. That thing was dope. It was so good. Um but this reminded me a lot of that because we're taking all of this footage that was shot, you know, between 60 to 91 or yeah. 90, yeah, 91. Uh-huh. And just, most of which so much amazing footage. Yeah. Mo- most of which they shot themselves, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Cause they were creating films constantly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, give a quick three sentence synopsis breakdown of what what this movie is about the film is essentially the life story of maurice and katia craft they are two volcanologists lovecraft fall in love yeah (laughs) (laughs) they fall in love i think it was in the 60s right early 60s they spend the next 25 to 30 years married and pursuing volcanology together they decided not to have kids Yep. All they wanted to do was pursue volcanoes, volcanoes, volcanoes. They are entirely consumed by their passion for volcanoes. And she's a geochemist, he's a geologist, and it just seems like they have this one in a million <laughs> connection. Yeah, their and connection was pretty explosive. Yeah, so this hour and a half film sort of tracks them uh, through that time period and follows them through their adventures across multiple volcanoes, different studies, world events, you know, through these eruptions up until their untimely death in 91 at Mount Unzen, I think. June in, 3rd. In Japan. Right. Yeah. I could not believe the footage that we saw. 
in this documentary. It was incredible. Oh, it's so freaking Th- thing, cool. Things I, or like even just talking about specific volcanoes that they recorded or they, they came to a day or two after the eruption, I was just dumbfounded watching this film. Yeah, it's uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. It's gripping. The whole thing is just wall-to-wall gripping. Yeah. It's Maurice, who, well, we already mentioned how Maurice and Katya film all their stuff, but they they get really close to these eruptions, like closer than is sensible. <laughs> yeah. And you can see everything from the magma, like as it's emerging and turning immediately into molten rock. Mm-hmm. Just, it's so gnarly. It's wild. Yeah. And we should also say there's this aesthetic to the whole documentary where it seemed like because they were making films out of the footage they were shooting, they were also shooting themselves constantly as they were just globetrotting intrepidly uh, over over like multiple different varieties of terrain. Some of it seemed like it should not have been treaded upon. Yeah. And there's this whole like Jacques Cousteau life aquatic mm-hmm. feeling where they're wearing these red beanies and blue uniforms or like, like space agey, like, like 1950s, 60s space agey lava suits. Yeah. And it's just wild to watch. It's, 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 abs- it was absolutely a joy. Like, it, it had that Wes Anderson vibe. Yeah. Too. It totally <laughs> felt like Wes Anderson. It's funny because Maurice balked at the notion of him being a filmmaker, but he has the filmmaker's sensibility yeah, totally. in the way they were recording everything. Totally. Even getting like reaction shots. I can imagine him behind the camera, like talking to Katya saying, hey, I need you to turn around. We're going to get this shot of you. Like, oh, they, they even touch on that in the film. They're like, here's what it would look like. Or we're going to do this take a few times so we can get that dramatic moment of you like peering over the lip of the volcano or showing you like frustrated in this moment is very cool very very cool um yeah I, I mean i was just captivated the whole time it was put together by a sort of a team of of people the directors uh, i think i already said it was sarah dosa and then the writers were shane boris aaron casper and jocelyn chaput 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 and um the way that this film is structured is interesting because it's not talking head documentary where they're interviewing people and they're talking at the, at the camera, it was structured like a narrative. So you're watching just what I would assume is taken from countless hours of footage over, over the course of three decades, maybe it's entirely archival. I don't think there's any modern. Yeah. But, but there are some like still images that to kind of fill in some gaps because they're, they were unable to actually get footage, but so there's the structure of, of all this amazing footage and kind of filling in the pieces of how they met, their love story, their love for volcanoes, the typing of, of what we come to know are two different types of volcanoes. Because Maurice is, is under the impression that we shouldn't catalog or categorize anything. It's just something that... Old men do. Old beards. I think, doesn't he say old beards or something yeah, like that? I think so old old beards, beards do to try to teach to try to teach students to fall in line but that every volcano should be taken as a unique happening they have their own personalities yep but we come to know that there's two different types there's red and there's gray red is the one that you think of when you think of a volcano erupting with red lava flowing and a lot of molten 
red aspects. The gray are the ones that kind of just look like a big cloud, but they're the most dangerous, I guess, because of the way that they erupt and the spontaneity behind their eruption and their triggering element, those are the, the triggering ki- point. They call those the killer volcanoes, like St. Helens. Yeah, like St. Helens that literally exploded like a quarter of the side of the mountain and just destroyed everything. Yeah, it was like a 30-kilometer explosion. <sighs> and then what was it? The one in Japan, Uzen? Unzen. Unzen. Yeah. Uh, even like, the, they, named, they named a few. There was Mount Vesuvius, which everybody knows yeah. from back in the day. <laughs> They, so they dedicated the latter parts of their life to studying those to help people. To help people because apart from their unique passion, they would they at some point decided, like, what's the point of all this unless we're actually going to try to save lives? Because uh, oftentimes when it comes to the gray volcanoes, death is avoidable if there are evacuation plans and, and escape routes kind of put in place to where... It can, it can actually help people avoid the death toll. So they dedicated their lives to that. And then and then they were in 91 on June 3rd. I forget. Was it was it Unzen one? Mm-hmm. Unzen was the gray volcano that, that came in. They got too close and took them. Yeah, it seemed like they were fine. I think but they said like at 4.18 p.m., which is wild. Yeah, because they found a watch and it, that was the moment it was frozen. It was frozen. Like frozen in time. So eerie, but yeah. but the way that the story is told is through a narrator who was kind of telling you little pieces about their lives and the things that they were into and explaining things in a really, I would assume, sort of dumbed down way. And that narrator was like a very soft-spoken woman. Her name was Miranda July. I liked that choice. For I really, time. really liked what they did with her and, and the narration. And then they had a couple... Uh, did we already say that they were French? No. They're French. Yeah. So they spoke French most of the movie, and, and you're reading subtitles, but then they had a reenactment, a voiceover artist read some pieces for uh, Katia, and I think Maurice, mm-hmm. but but mostly, Mo- most Ka- of, mostly Katia. Most of their dialogue was the, their own recordings, yeah. though. Yeah. So you got to hear a lot from Maurice and Katia. But it was all taken in through the imagery like you said and then and then the narrative that really made it feel like a story with a first act second act third act structure yeah um three act structure and i thought that played out just really really well like it was like i said it was captivating the whole time and the footage was just awe striking and yeah, it I was, was captivated. It was much more poignant. I mean, we knew going in that it was essentially their story, but sometimes with docs, you never know if it's going to be more focused on the phenomena or on the characters. And I think this film balanced those things perfectly because of how connected these characters were to their study. And yeah, their their story was really touching. It was very philosophical. Maurice and Katya were clearly very intelligent people and... Not just intelligent for their field, you know, smart, but they were also very uh, emotionally intelligent, and or at least that's the impression I got from watching the movie. They knew themselves, and they knew like their mission here on Earth, like what they were put here for, which is something everybody should be so lucky to experience. I think everybody, a lot of people are like, you know, what's my purpose here? But they just knew it. Like they feel like that's kind of a really French attitude. I mean, oh maybe in in in, in, (laughs) in a not 
I'm not trying to be a bigot in any way, shape, or form, but like I think I think the French have always been a little bit more intuitive when it comes to their existential questions. Like, you mean like they're much less into the Westernized commercialism that America, I, f- I think, has its pitfalls. You know, interesting. Yeah, I, see I, I feel like France has always been a little bit more. Uh, they're o- more open-minded, and like I think that's why I think a lot of a lot of people that I have known that have lived in France or people that are French, I feel like really know themselves a lot more than um, I feel like Americans do. But yeah, even across those cultural boundaries, it was important to set the stage with the time period as well, because all this was happening in post-war Europe, which was an important for it was a setting that these characters came out of, and that's how right they they set the stage there. I don't know. It, it made me. I mean, that's that's just a conjecture by me, but I would just that's just what I gathered. Yeah, it might it might be true. I I don't I haven't done a lot of French studies. I've seen just a couple of their films. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan so far, but <laughs> yeah, this was a lovely little peek into that culture. And I mean, they they have other characters pop in here and there from other parts of the world. So yeah, like, it was it was truly a globe trotting experience. Was super global, and it was crazy. The the you can imagine how many language barriers there probably were. Yeah. I think she spoke sort of broken English, it showed in the end. So she, at some point, it seemed like she probably had to learn I'd see, English. I got the impression they were fluent at, some, at least uh, it, at the middle of their career. Yeah. Because English, Maybe. I think, even at that time, was one of the more globally yeah. recognized languages. And it made a point to say how well connected they were. Yeah. They said they had a... They were like celebrities. Yeah, it's, it seemed like that. And I, I'd never had heard of these people, but it, it sounded like they had developed many films over the course of their tenure because that was how they paid the bills, essentially, yeah. was by providing curriculum and instructional material, Yeah, films, uh, educational. So, yeah, we I'm sure you know the world owes them a, a certain debt for uh, evacuation protocols and volcano safety, all that jazz. Yeah, in the film, she said, Katya said, that they they don't know what the, what triggers the volcano, and it, they it, they're pretty unpredictable, even for them who like study them. And I found that really fascinating because I'm like, there's literally almost no rhyme or reason for why or when volcanoes erupt, and I wonder if that's changed at all in the last thirty years since she said that. I bet you they've gotten better predicting it, but. Uh, still, it's like they said uh, at least twice in the film that the every volcano has a fuse that's lit, but the length of a fuse is unknowable. Yeah. And so, because you can't like peer into the earth and mm-hmm. I don't think science is at that point yet where you can maybe tell from a long distance or a long time away when it's going to blow. But mm. I don't know. I'm sure they've gotten better. They, that was pretty important too, leading into the final moments that um, that's essentially how they they died. Was it that volcano caught them off guard? So, and it seemed like they were taking their normal precautions and they knew that one day they would die doing this, following this volcanology. (laughs) Yeah. Maurice said that he, uh, has had so many incredible experiences that he felt like he has lived beyond a hundred years old already. Yeah. It looked like it going into that (laughs) dude. When they're on the, at the acidic lake, him and his other geologist buddy, it was like, very tense. <laughs> I can't believe these people were doing these things in the 70s and the 80s. Right. But that's science. You know, you got to put yourself out there. And they said as much. You have to really 
these things were extremely dangerous, but it was necessary. He like like melted half of his foot because he was yeah he, he like stepped in some hot mud, hot hot mud puddle. Yeah, so crazy, scary stuff. But his skin's falling. Really, off. I I want to hammer home how breathtaking some of this imagery was. Unbelievable. Just. I maybe I personally just they, love they the sound, aesthetic. They sound designed it well. Also, the score, the music, really yeah. played a huge part. And the music was really awesome. It was nice. I thought it was great. It was really good. I Everything would, added. It was very. I appreciated. Like, I don't usually think of like maybe because I haven't seen very many documentaries, but those other atmospheric yeah. qualities. Yeah. But it certainly everything was working really well together. Not all documentaries are like this. I mean, I just think of, I would hammer that home because like, yeah, if every documentary was like this, then We'd there wouldn't be. be anything really unique about this. But this, this was a very unique doc. Yeah. Like you said, the found footage or not found footage, but like the archival biopic docs yeah. are really special. Yep. I feel like they're very few and far between where, where, especially where there's so much access that this is how I felt about the last dance as well. The, the, uh, the Bulls in the, mm. the 90s the series. Incredible stuff. But that also had talking heads and stuff. It was it was a treat, and I'm really glad we got the chance to see it in a theater. Yeah. Because like you said, the sound and the picture together were very cool. And I would definitely recommend it to everybody. Yeah, I would recommend it to everyone. Literally, it's worth your time. Especially if you love... Anything? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find a better word than geology, because like... Well, the Earth itself is such a spectacular yeah. character for study. I think they said it really well. Where, and I think they were quoting Maurice Kraft, who's the, again the main character in this film, when they said this. But they substituted the word "love" for "discovery." It's something like that. Substituting, replacing the word "love" with "discovery" or a passion for learning, or something like that. It also occurred to me in imagination this might have been the intention or unintentioned in the production of this movie, but that also like set against the backdrop too of like climate change and stuff. And uh, the earth has a resource that we're just kind of, you know, destroying it. it I don't know. There's a, there's also a level of emotional impact there, like a poignancy that it's uh, undeniable. Hmm. I don't know, especially like such like a volcano being such a naturally destructive force. Mm-hmm. It really just makes you think about like the earth and, uh, mm-hmm as our home and like how it's just kind of getting screwed up. Yeah. So kind of a bummer, big bummer. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe a lot of the stuff that we're doing to the earth, let alone that volcanoes actually exist and, uh, can create such damaging uh, situations. Yeah. I don't know. One day, I mean, the earth will persist probably long after humanity's, (laughs) Cold and gone, so uh, it's crazy. I don't know. It's so evocative of like uh, ancient Earth, like mm-hmm. these wild, barren landscapes, and how primordial it all is. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I I was really taken aback by just thinking like there was that one instance where that volcano just killed instantaneously twenty five thousand people, and I was just like, wow, the Earth is just going to do what it wants to do. Like it doesn't care that. Yeah. We're there. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to, at some point, like... One big volcano. Fight back. <laughs> I'm waiting for the metaphorical volcano. I had no idea. I think they said Krakatoa changed 
the color of the sky on a global level. That was yeah. crazy. To it, was, it was either that or the one before it. To hear about. But it did have global effects. Cra- Krakatau. 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 I didn't know that. It's wild. I'd love to see a volcano. Have you ever seen a volcano? Not in real life. Really? I know that there's a pretty active volcano in Hawaii called Haleakala, and that you can go up there and look at it. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy stuff. But this was an amazing film. Yeah. We couldn't recommend it enough. How did you feel about volcanoes going into this film? <laughs> well, I've actually been working with some footage recently with volcanoes, so I was a little bit excited. Mostly underwater volcanoes, which we, we saw like Snippets. maybe 30 to 60 seconds worth of footage in Fire of Love of underwater stuff. But it's extra fascinating the way it happens underwater. The submarine hydrothermal vents, when they when the lava pops out, like it instantly cools and you get such a, what's it called? Uh, like a bombastic, or what's the scientific word for bombastic? Something like that. It's just this explosive reaction where it like instantly cools and instantly becomes rock. And the textures of those mm-hmm. rocks are so f- friggin', uh, well, cool, but also like sometimes weird. Like it looks like, right. Or like the bottom of the ocean is just like, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it is weird. It's so cool. But what I've learned in doing this project that I'll say no more about after this is that the vast majority of volcanoes on this planet are submarine. They're underwater. Oh. And uh, obviously we can't, we don't have, we have very limited understanding of our ocean, of yeah. all things. Yeah, right. So we, we don't even know, like we haven't, we have, there's like almost no footage of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's making my job very difficult right now, but <laughs> it's so cool. I was so happy we got a little bit of that in this movie too. Yeah. Something you have to see, I think. Uh-huh. And you probably haven't seen. So go see it in a theater, in your local cinema. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been another episode of our podcast. A short one. Short and sweet. Go check it out. You're going to like the way it looks. I guarantee it. You're going to like the way that volcano looks as it's erupting. (laughs) Here's a song from the, the movie. From the film.